Welcome to episode three of the Seeking the Military Suicide Solution podcast, brought to you by the Military Times. I'm Dwayne France. And I'm Doc Shauna Springer. And we'd like to thank you for taking the time to learn more about suicide in the military-affiliated population. I'd also like to thank our sponsors, Mill Media Group. Mill Media Group is a proven web design and digital media agency specializing in supporting organizations focusing on the military population. Find out more about them at millmediagroup.com. Thanks again to everybody for joining us to listen to an honest conversation about service member, veteran, and military family suicide. The response to the concept of the show has been outstanding. It's generating a lot of conversation, and that's what we're trying to do. Our guest today is Dr. Matt Miller, Acting Director for Suicide Prevention for the Department of Veterans Affairs. Shauna? Today, we're pleased to bring Matt Miller onto the show. As Dwayne said, his official role is Acting Director for Suicide Prevention in the Department of Veterans Affairs. But like other guests, this is not a job. It's personal. The backstory is this. Many years ago, Matt Miller was the only psychologist on Vance Air Force Base in Enid, Oklahoma. In this role, he was in charge of mental health for the entire base. He led all efforts related to suicide prevention, family advocacy, substance abuse treatment, and critical incident response services. He also became part of the inner circle of Major John Ruaco. By all accounts, John was the kind of guy that lit up a room. A decorated Cobra pilot, he was someone who had more than 75 combat missions under his belt. And John was a rock for many people, including Matt Miller. John was also someone that never fully revealed the depth of his hidden pain, even to those who love him most. When John died by suicide in February 2005, the grief that initially engulfed those closest to him later fueled an explosion of post-traumatic growth. John's wife, Kim Ruwako, who will be featured on a future episode of Seeking the Military Suicide Solution, has led efforts to develop and refine what is now the leading postvention model in the country. And Matt Miller went on to become the director of the Veterans Crisis Line and is now the Acting National Director for Suicide Prevention for the Department of Veterans Affairs. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really great to hear Matt's background. And, and like we've talked about, even in the introductory episode, you know, the reasons why people come to this work um, are often very personal, and that's definitely the way it was with Matt. So let's get into the conversation, and we'll come back afterwards to pull out some of the key points. work that you're doing now and the work that you've done before, um, focusing on suicide in the veteran population with the VA, um, what, what do we know that works with preventing suicide in the veteran population? We know that, uh, and that's a question that um, we all are, are constantly asking in the context of such an important issue where lives are are truly on the line on a on a daily basis. In, in terms of what we know works, we know that a public health approach to suicide prevention is evidence based and uh, works. A, a public health approach means that. Kind of consider it like an equation where you have an equal sign and on the right hand side of the equal sign, you have public health approach. 
So really then what's on the left-hand side of the equal side? There's two things. Number one, there's clinically-based interventions. And then number two, there's community-based interventions. And they, those two, clinically-based interventions and community-based interventions, are joined by a plus sign. So clinically-based interventions plus community-based interventions equals a true public health approach. If you altered the left-hand side of that equation and were to say, for example, uh, clinical, clinically-based interventions minus community-based interventions, you would not have public health approach on the other side of the equal sign. If you were to remove the equation and simplify it, let's say, and uh, simply put that uh, clinically-based interventions equal a public health approach, or community-based interventions equal a public health approach, you would not have a true public health approach. So what we're learning works. The direction that we're learning and verifying that we need to head with the critically important issue of suicide prevention is the clinically-based interventions plus the community-based interventions together and within a integrated plan, strategy, and delivery system such as the VA. Now, in terms of, of what works and what we're seeing here, uh, within each of those two important components, our 2019 uh, annual suicide prevention report provides some insight. For example, under uh, clinically-based interventions, we see from the 2017 report, or 2019 report based upon 2017 data, that there has been a decrease in the suicide rate for veterans diagnosed with a depressive disorder and receiving VHA care. I asked the team if they could convert that rate of decrease into a calculated figure for lives saved from the 2016 data to the 2017 data based upon the rate decrease. So they came back to me and they said, Matt, this translates to 87 lives saved from 2016 to 2017 of individuals, veterans, diagnosed with depression and in VHA care. Mm-hmm. 87 lives saved. Mm-hmm. That's, that's significant. Right. That tells us that evidence-based care can be effective and is effective and can save 87 lives, if not more, um, when implemented in an evidence-based uh, manner. So that's a, that's an anchor of hope that we hang in hang on to, and as a data point in terms of that which is um, effective. We also know that if you take a look, this gets a little mathy, but if you take a look at the slope of increase for suicide among veterans, and you were to compare the the slope, the increase. Uh, for veterans in VHA care versus veterans not in VHA care, the, the, the slope, the rise is significantly different between veterans in VHA care and veterans not in VHA care. And it's much lower 
for veterans in VHA care versus not. Specifically, there's about a 1% slope rise, if you will, for veterans in VHA care compared to over 11% for veterans not in VHA care. So all this to say, Dwayne, and all this to get back to the point that under the heading of clinically-based interventions, um, we know that there are things that work that we continue then to press forward with and find new ways to implement now in 2019 going into 2020 under the clinically based interventions heading under the community based interventions heading we know from our clinic practice guidelines issued by the VA and DOD in a national leading collaborative effort that lethal mean safety is a very effective tool on the population community-based level for suicide prevention. So that's something that we look to move forward and have developed a uh, toolkit for safe firearm storage in the community that represents a partnership between us, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and the National Shooting Sports uh, Foundation. So there's a couple of specific points, uh, I think, in reference to your very good question. You know, that's, uh, I really appreciate that visualization because I'm thinking about other um, public health dilemmas um, and, and how that would translate. So um, when it comes to smoking cessation, nobody doubts whether or not there is a clinical approach, a medical approach, really, um, but a clinical approach plus a community approach. Um, yeah. Let's say with uh, reduced drunk driving, um, that's not the, not necessarily a medical thing, and so it's not really a clinical approach required. Um, but the unique aspect of suicide, because it's psychological and it impacts the community, um, the two things are combined. And so it's much more in line with something like smoking cessation or reducing obesity or heart, heart risk, uh, cardiac risk. Um, yeah, there's there's parallels there, but let, let's even go back. Let's go back to the um, let's go let's go back to the driving while intoxicated example that you nicely cited. There, we could take a look at that across community and clinical. So uh, on the community-based intervention levels, you can have very effective public messaging campaigns that Mm -hmm. highlight the impact of driving while intoxicated on the individual's lives and on the community as a whole. And, And everyone listening right now can think probably and see some of those images from those campaigns. On the clinical side, you can think, well, there may be individuals who have a substance use disorder and they would benefit from evidence-based alcohol addiction, alcohol dependence, or alcohol abuse uh, treatment. And as they engage in that treatment, yes, it, it, it will positively impact that which we're doing more broadly with regard to decreasing um, driving while intoxicated uh, incidents and impact. But if, if, if you were to just rely on the clinically based interventions to address this, you, you wouldn't possibly cover the entire spectrum that you need because every situation doesn't necessarily entail alcohol dependence or an, or an alcohol um, abuse disorder. 
Sometimes it does. And therefore, it's important to have that treatment available and evidence-based. But it also involves a community approach of messaging to everyone in the community, whether you may be working through an alcohol use uh, or abuse problem or not. After the break, Matt and I talk about why the public health approach to suicide is different than the public health approach to things like DUIs or heart disease. Hi, I'm Melissa Mosier. I'm a local Army spouse, daughter, sister, and a proud team member of Mill Media. I'm here at our headquarters at the great Fort Head, Texas. Mill Media is a military-affiliated team that wants to serve you the way that you served our country. With mostly military retirees, veterans, and families as our staff, we understand the military mindset. Mill Media is the one place that prioritizes your goals above all else, which you will see from our incredible customer service. With over 25 years of experience, we work with everyone from startups, small businesses, entrepreneurs, and nonprofits. Mill Media Group is the digital division of Top Search Business Solution that specializes as a web design and digital marketing platform. So visit our website today for a free website analysis so that you can sit back, relax, and let us give you the perfect online presence. To hear more about what Mill Media is doing and will continue to do, call me today at 254-554-0974 or visit our website. That's millmediagroup.com. So call me whenever you're ready. puts me in mind perhaps the question, and, and maybe we won't answer it in, in this short of time, but why is it different than when it comes to suicide? Because in the community, the minute somebody says suicide, it becomes something for the experts to do. It's not something yeah. for the, the barista or the mechanic or the plumber. Which is exactly, exactly, Dwayne, what we're trying to change. If you take a look at our Be There campaign and you take a look at what we talked about extensively during the month of September and Suicide Prevention Month, you just hit the nail on the head on our theme. Our theme under Be There was everyone has a role to play with suicide prevention. A a good example of this, I think, is uh, some work being done by a colleague of ours out um, out in Oregon. And what they found at the local community level, when they really dove into some things regarding what's happening with suicide in our community, they found the last 24 to 48 hours of individuals' lives prior to suicide, they commonly in that area visited um, animal shelters and hotels. Mm. You say, well, why animal shelters? Well, they were arranging plans and care for their beloved pets. Why hotels? They were often going there as a location so that they weren't in a home setting impacting their family or loved ones in a more perceived adverse way. So based upon that data, a team deployed training and gatekeeper training for suicide prevention at animal shelters locally and at local hotels, teaching individuals in those settings, individuals on the front lines. They're not clinical psychologists. They're not primary care physicians. They're good people working at animal shelters and hotels, teaching them how to recognize warning signs, teaching them what to do when they recognize these warning signs. 
and then engaging based upon that information. It's one of the few counties in our nation that's actually seen a decrease in suicide. So that gets to the point and reinforces exactly what we're trying to accomplish with Be There. Now, some may say, Matt, you're abdicating your responsibility here. You're trying to put suicide prevention on the front line individuals while people like you um, aren't doing what they need to do. I say, I, I agree. That's why we have, and that's the importance of the additive model of the public health approach. It's important that you do have those clinically based interventions available and access to those clinically based interventions. But you know what? Although there's a relationship between depression and suicide, there's not always a relationship between suicide and depression. So you need to be able to have the clinically based interventions that address depression, that, uh, that depress substance use disorder, that address um, relationship problems and issues. But you also need to have the community-based intervention approach where all of us are looking out for each other and all of us are ready to engage um, when we see something. Dwayne, I, I give an example, a personal example of this from my own life. It's, it's a little bit of an apples to oranges comparison, but I, I'll share it. I, I often tell of a time where I had my four daughters and we were out for dinner and we were at a restaurant that was called Smokin' Charlie's at the time. And uh, we were sitting there and all of a sudden I heard some coughing uh, over my shoulder behind me. And one of my daughters who was sitting across from me said, Daddy, is, is that guy choking? I turned around and I looked and there was a man standing at his table and he had all the hallmark signals and signs of choking. He was mm -hmm. coughing. He was holding and grasping his throat. He was leaning over. He had the look of desperation on his face. And I, my first thought was, I hope someone does something about that. Mm -hmm. And my second thought was, Matt, you could do something. Yeah. You you could you could do the Heimlich. And then my next thought was, what if I screw it up? What if I don't do it right? What if I don't help? And so this time that I was thinking and churning on these issues, someone stood up, someone administered the Heimlich maneuver on this individual, and they dislodged the potato chip that this individual was choking on and this individual lived. I step back from that as ashamed I am of that example. I think it provides an illustration of the role we can all play. I don't need to be a cardiologist. I don't need to be a pulmonologist to administer the Heimlich maneuver for someone at Smoking Charlie's who's choking on a potato chip. I can be the person beside him that simply engages the Heimlich maneuver and saves a life. And in that same way, the community and everyone therein has a role to play with see something, do something. Yeah. Do we not need pulmonologists? Do we not need cardiologists? Do we not need EMS to show up and still do a follow-up check to make sure the individual is okay? Yes, we need all of that. So that illustrates the community plus the clinical coming together in a life-saving daily way. 
You know, so that, uh, and, and obviously the, the thing that works is the connection between the community and uh, clinically based practices. Again, needing both of those uh, to balance the equation. Uh, and that's yeah. also illustrating the gap that occurs because we don't have that connection. Um, yeah. We as clinicians, I and, and I'm, I'm saying it often on the show, and I'm going to say it often uh, in my community, if we had the solution, then the problem would be solved by now, but we're not the first exactly. one in contact, right? The, yep, exactly. the, EM, the EMS was not the first person to come in contact the gentleman in the restaurant. You know, so that's, uh, it illustrates both what's working and uh, and the gap, and even you know maybe what actions people can take is to you know learn and and be educated on the science of symptoms. But for listeners, what's not working, right? There's something that people that, that people you know think that is effective or is working that's not working when it comes to preventing suicide. Hmm. Oh, I think what's not working is a over reliance on to the exclusion of. Uh, the other, an over-reliance on clinically-based interventions to the exclusion of community-based interventions, and conversely, an over-reliance on community-based interventions to the exclusion of um, continuing to attend to that which we can do in furthering clinically-based interventions. What's also not working is when there's no plus sign between the clinically-based and the community-based. As you said, they're not talking or coordinating together. There, there's, there's, there's a gap. There's, there's no plus sign unifying them. That scenario is going to get us to a, is going to keep us at a point where suicide prevention then as a whole is not working for our nation. And we see that historically. Suicide is not a veteran specific issue. It is an issue that impacts veterans in a meaningful way. It is an issue that we must continue to find ways to turn around and address. But it occurs within a larger context of our United States population, our brothers and sisters therein, wherein suicide is on the rise across our nation as a whole. It's been rising since 1999. It's the 10th leading cause of death in adults, but it's become the second leading cause of death in individuals aged 10 to 22. So this is a broader issue that merits a national level discussion, and the VA can lead the way within that in terms of veterans, veteran care, and that which we're doing to unify the clinical and the community. Oh, I absolutely agree. I think um, uh, one of the things that I've often said is, uh, you know, as veterans go, so go our nation. Um, Not that veterans need to be taken care of, but, you know, it is a microcosm. But if we can figure out how to address veteran homelessness, then we can apply those techniques to homelessness in the community. Mm -hmm. But with the veteran population, essentially, it can be a test bed. But that's what you're talking about is if we can help solve this corner of what the issue is, then that's going to impact the issue overall. Yes. Yeah. In some ways, we are the canary and uh, we are going into places here that um, are dark, that no one has been. And we are testing things here in the name of saving lives. Someone's got to do it. And uh, I'm proud to be part of the VA team uh, and the community that is doing this. 
Yes, uh, I, and I, I absolutely agree. And, and I thank you and your team. Um, there's a lot of great work coming out um, of the Office of Suicide Prevention. Uh, like you said, your, your lethal means um, safety uh, work, especially uh, the, the link between AFSP and the, the National Sports Shooting Foundation. Great stuff. Um, and, and I really think that uh, we're at a point where it's going to start uh, um, having more momentum. I really appreciate you coming on the show today, Matt. You know, safe messaging and talking about suicide in a way that doesn't create fear, that doesn't promote stigma, but instead promotes awareness and promotes constructive engagement. That's a big part of the battle here. And what you're doing today is is being a frontline troop in that battle. You're opening up the discussion. You're destigmatizing. You're offering suggestions for converting awareness into engagement. So the thanks are due to you, not not to me and to your audience. That is uh, that's definitely the goal. So I had a really great time with that conversation. Um, Matt is somebody, uh, again, we're really working through the beginning of these shows, the list of people that I really wanted to come on and sort of set the tone of suicide prevention. Uh, and when we think about suicide prevention in the veteran military family population, of course, we think about the Department of Veterans Affairs, uh, not just because of the, the size of it, but because of the work that's been done um, to, to the research and, and the interventions. And so it was great to be able to have Matt come on the show to talk about some of the things that the VA is doing when it comes to veteran suicide specifically. So Shauna, what did you think about the show? Yeah, I thought there were some real important insights in there. Um, one of the important insights that stood out to me was the insight about hotels and animal shelters. I sometimes think that important insights are overlooked and are so clear in retrospect. When he talked about community level efforts and how these efforts have led to insights around high risk indicators, this felt really important to me. So specifically, when he talked about how people in the suicidal mind state often visit animal shelters and hotels before they attempt to end their lives. Now, this makes total sense. Um, I'd be willing to bet that, you know, what I say is also true for you, Dwayne. Um, in my years as a frontline provider, I've had many patients tell me that the only thing keeping them alive is that they wouldn't abandon a beloved pet. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. you know, it makes sense that people are trying to ensure that their pets are not abandoned before they consider attempting suicide. It also makes sense that visits to hotels would be paired with attempts since people on, often want to create distance with their loved ones who might find them just after the death. So by identifying these patterns and helping staff members of animal shelters and hotels be vigilant for people who may be in distress, we may be able to prevent perfect storms from ending in lasting tragedy. And this was really exciting to hear since this kind of very practical insight is why I wanted to do this podcast with you. What did you think? Yeah, I agree. And, and definitely that idea of you know, suicide hotspots. Some people think about suicide hotspots as locations where people um, often uh, attempt to take their life like the Golden Gate Bridge or a particular rail crossing or bridge in someone's community. Um, but we're getting to the point, and, and I'm speaking definitely here in Colorado, where most communities should get to the point of 
you know, the coroner knows the zip codes and, and even to the addresses of when these, um, these deaths by suicide. And just like anything else, if you have a larger cluster of suicides in one particular area, then it would be very good to concentrate efforts in that area. And it would be different between communities. It may be hotels in Oregon, uh, or it may be parking lots in, you know, North Dakota, right? I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. it could be something uh, different in each community, but yeah, I absolutely believe the concept um, is something that is intriguing. And to be honest, something that we're looking to implement in our community um, to, to see where are the majority of our suicides are clustered. Right. It's, you know, really understanding that concentration of where people are going to travel before they consider making an attempt. I think that's going to help us with a public health approach because it will help us understand who we need to really equip. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's in equipping people who may not think they need to be equipped or it's not even a concept for them. Another thing that we have exactly. uh, in our uh, community efforts here, um, the, uh, Restaurant and Bar Association has reached out to uh, our local organization saying, can you teach us suicide prevention? Mm-hmm. Um, so who but the bartenders, right? The bartenders is the the late night therapist kind of thing. Right. But they reached out and said, can you give us help? So it is giving people those tools uh, that they may not even realize they need or uh, really aren't comfortable using. Uh, anything else you got from Matt's conversation? Yeah, you know, speaking of restaurants, I really appreciated the personal example that Matt shared of being in the restaurant, seeing someone choking and having the immediate thought, gee, I hope somebody helps that guy. Um, I think this is such an important point. So much of the time, I think we don't intervene in situations, not because we don't care if someone lives or dies, but because we're fearful that we'll screw it up or we think we're not qualified to assist. And this kind of made me reflect on bravery. A few thoughts I wanted to share. Bravery is something that can be domain specific. For example, I've worked with a number of combat veterans who would walk into the kill zone of an ambush without flinching. They're terrified to tell their partners that they love them and they need them. And I've worked them through this barrier so I know that the instinct to avoid can be overcome if someone gives it a real focused effort. Also, bravery can be developed, I think, through practice. For example, many people who serve in the military are initially fearful or uncomfortable about using firearms or using violence against other people. But military training helps these people overcome that avoidance instinct. And some of them become our finest soldiers and Marines and operators because they have a level of humility and restraint that others never had to begin with. So my thought is that for the public approach to suicide to really work, we have to figure out a way to overcome our initial avoidance instinct. We need to trust our gut when it calls to us. And we need to move in close when we sense that someone is in a dark and hopeless place. I think this kind of bravery can absolutely be learned. You know, this is actually something that I often brought up when I was doing the uh, applied intervention skills training. And I'd ask the attendees, you know, uh, would you do anything to save the life of a fellow veteran? You know, well, Uh yeah, of course I would, right? You know, run into a burning building and they would say yes. And I said, what if that includes looking them in the eye and asking them, are you thinking of killing yourself? Exactly. 
and, and then people are like, oh, I don't know about all that. Well, and yes, bravery <laughs> right. is bravery. Yeah. But are we willing to? And this and that was one of my things. And that's what in things like assist and QPR and these um, trainings do for you is to get you used to. That's right. Um, asking those questions and 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 just like basic training. And I, I like that analogy, but um, doing stressful things in non-stressful situations so that you yep. can then do those things in stressful situations. Exactly. Exactly where my mind goes to, that there's a way to habituate to being uncomfortable because it's a different domain of bravery, you know, to go into a burning building or to look someone straight in the eye in the context of a relationship that's trusting and intimate in the sense of loving someone as a brother or sister and saying, are you thinking about having thoughts of ending your life right now? And holding the gaze. Um, it's hard for people to look at each other full in the face and not ask anything. Even harder for them to ask about life or death matters, but we need to be doing that for a public health approach to work. Yeah, and, and I think, again, there's that idea of um, what maybe came out in that first episode with uh, Dr. Van Dalen was a suicide prevention is not something we do to someone. It's something we do with people, right? right? It's a, it's a mutual thing that we do with someone who happens to be in crisis. Uh, and that does impart a, a responsibility on both sides, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a matter of a, a partnership. Whereas, you know, doing the Heimlich maneuver, as Matt had described, that's something you do to somebody, right? You do CPR to mm-hmm. somebody. You don't do CPR with somebody. But this is a very highly relational situation exactly. where we have to do this with each other. Exactly. Yep. Fully agree. Yeah, I uh, really appreciated Matt's um, Matt's conversation and the opportunity to, and, and even their willingness, the VA's willingness to uh, come on the show and have this conversation in a very public way. Um, to be able to to make a difference. So I'm really excited about uh, how this episode will be received. Yeah, I think there's a lot of confusion and misunderstanding about the people behind the roles. And one of the things that was neat about this episode is to really understand where Matt is coming from and that this is personal for him. And so it's not just a role and a job. Absolutely. So uh, everybody make sure to continue to stay tuned to listen to more episodes about seeking the military suicide solution. Make sure to check the show notes at veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash STMSS03, where you can get links to all the things that Matt and I talked about in the episode. And you can also find the shows on militarytimes.com. While you're at it, check out our sponsors, Mill Media Group. They're a web design and digital media agency with over 25 years of experience in supporting service members, veterans, and their families. They specialize in working with startups, small businesses, entrepreneurs, nonprofits, and city, state, and local governments. As a veteran-owned business, they're uniquely qualified to work with those that want to reach an audience in the military and veteran space. If you have a dream or a vision, they can help you bring it to life and get it in front of your audience. You can contact them at 254-554-0974 or find them online at millmediagroup.com. Just a reminder that the guests and reflections on this show are for informational purposes only and should not be considered professional advice. While Dwayne and I are mental health professionals, we are not your mental health professionals. We always recommend that you discuss these things with a licensed clinician. You can find out more about the work that Shauna is doing by checking out her latest book, Beyond the Military, A Leader's Handbook for Warrior Reintegration, and the work that I'm doing with my latest book, Military in the Rearview Mirror. 
Both are available on Amazon and we'll have links to those in the show notes. And always remember, you can connect with the Veteran Crisis Line by calling 1-800-273-8255 and pressing one. Chat online with them at veterancrisisline.net or texting 838255. Thanks again for joining us to talk about seeking the military suicide solution and make sure to follow Military Times on social media to keep up with the latest shows. Join us next time for another great episode. And until then, remember, you're not alone, ever.